make you work? Make you stand up and close the door? That's a big ask. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing Chapter 8, Tradeford. The one where Fitz meets his uh, his final boss, I guess. <laughs> the goal that he's been striving for. The beginning part of this chapter, however, again goes over, like, the war <laughs> with the raiders. Yeah. Well, it is a pretty big event. That took a big part of history recently in narrator Fitz's childhood, I guess. Even if narrator Fitz that is writing these is like 35, this is still a pretty big event. So Right, right. It's just uh, pretty much the same events that we've talked about. Gone over a slightly different timeline and from a slightly different angle. Mainly talking about how... Uh, Lord Bright didn't understand that the outlying duchies and, and outposts were kind of essential to the defense of the whole coast, including Buck Duchy, until too late. So he focused all of his stuff just trying to defend Buck while the outer duchies started to fall and the raiders tried to gain footholds in Burns Coast and things like that. Right. Um, I think um, what's interesting about continuously hearing about the same thing over and over again just from slightly different points of view it kind of puts me in the mind of maybe these are just different drafts of the same thing that we're reading because we know Fitz likes to crumple up a lot of his work and throw it away so it almost feels to me in this moment that we are reading take three or take five or whatever right, it is. Yeah. Um, which I think is interesting and maybe not on purpose, but a cool thing to be able to think about. And specifically Fitz or the writer, <laughs> we're guessing Tom Badgerlock at this point, writes that and points out that Duke Brondy of Burns met his match and, and met his final end defending his coast and his keep from the writer's during this time period, they didn't really expect much aid from uh, Buck Duchy at that point, and he did not hesitate to beggar himself of personal treasure, nor to risk the lives of his kin in his final efforts to defend his duchy. Neither his death nor the fall of Ripplekeep stopped his daughters from carrying on the resistance against the raiders. And we see that later in this chapter, actually. Yeah. There also is brief mention about how the other coasts try to help Burns where they can, but they have their own shores to watch. Yep, exactly. So. And so we jump back into Fitz traveling along, determined to go uh, through this town we left him at. Right. So he is trying to straighten up. He's putting on a shirt. He is right. <laughs> washing a little bit. And trying to. He thinks that, oh, you know, it smells a little bit mildewy or whatever, but, you know, I'll air out in the air out while I'm walking through and it'll be okay. Right. And he's 
you know, brushing his beard and hair with his fingers, which if anyone has tried to do, doesn't necessarily give you the most upkept look, especially I'm sure after not doing it for like a month. Right. <laughs> so I don't know how clean he thinks he looks. But. He thinks he looks okay, but not great. Right. He's <laughs> thinking he looks like he's just someone who's been out of work for maybe a little bit, which clearly is not the case as we come to find out. Yes, he has a solid backstory this time and sets himself up so he doesn't have any more issues coming up with a name or backstory and continues on into town, which he realizes is bigger than he thought it was to begin with and is kind of stealing himself to walk through and kind of reminds himself this is the fastest way through. I don't have to have a wolf to look after right now, so I'll just walk through town. It'll be fine. It'll be fine, Fitz. It'll be fine. I also (laughs) want to point out that this is the second chapter in a row where Fitz previously heard, hey, don't do that, and then starts the chapter off by doing whatever it was he was warned against. Um, Last chapter, we heard that Regal is specifically looking for him, and is offering big rewards for anyone who can find him. And he, the first thing he does is go right back to civilization. So, At the end of last chapter, I do believe he mentions in his head that they probably won't know it's me because I don't have a wolf by me anymore. So I'm not... Right. Know, Nobody will but, recognize my face that looks exactly like the king. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, though, uh, he does not really recognize himself later on when he does get cleaned up. So... Right. Well, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But still, not the smartest thing that he's ever done. Although a lot of the things that he does are not the smartest Honestly, thing. Honestly, maybe mid tier. Yeah. <laughs> mid tier bad of, choice. <laughs> it's just kind of a poor decision, but it doesn't go too poorly. <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of. Uh, people out and about having fun it looks like a party here and he kind of finds out that the leader of the town is having a wedding the kappa man of the town and so they have free food that people can grab there's music in the air and everything like that and there's an elderly woman who notices him takes pity on him and says go to the tables and eat young fellow she told me kindly Kappaman Logus has decreed that on his wedding night, all are to celebrate with him. The food is for the sharing. Go on now, don't be shy. She patted me reassuringly on the shoulder, standing on tiptoe to do so. I blushed to be mistaken for a beggar, but thought better of dissuading her. So she slips him some money (laughs) and tells him, you know, young fellow, you look hard on your luck. Go eat. Yeah. Free food. So he obviously looks like a beggar. (laughs) And he's a little bit surprised, but is like, well, if that's what they think I am, I'll just roll with it. I can change my story a little bit. And not at any point during this does he think, maybe I look worse than I think. He's just like, huh, they have weird standards here. (laughs) And goes and gets his free food. He has spent countless months readjusting his standards of society to that of a wolf who does not bathe. True. Yeah. (laughs) So worse than wolves, actually. <laughs> right. And his clothes are pretty raggedy from yes. the continuous wear. So, And haven't really been that washed. <laughs> no. Or like just kind of rinsed out Not recently. Not with soap. <laughs> yeah. So he gets food. He is causing a minor disturbance because he looks like a beggar. And he smells really bad. And he smells really bad. But he's trying to get some gossip from the serving boy that's bringing him some ale. And 
he is asking where he can go to get a job. Basically just here is go up to Tradeford. They have a hiring fair up there. And if no one takes you, at least you could get a job at the King's Circle building it because they'll hire anyone on. Fitz kind of asks about the Great Circle because he hasn't he doesn't know much about it. He's heard about it a couple times now. Right. But he doesn't know what it is, really. And this is kind of where he learns about it in the, the next few pages here. And the boy kind of looks at him like he's dumb and just says, so all may witness the king's justice being served and then walks away. <laughs> right. And that doesn't leave Fitz feeling super confident that it's a great thing, but he's more miffed that the little boy said they'll take anyone. And he's like, wow, I must look kind of bad then. <laughs> Slowly starting to set in. Uh-huh. And slow is the emphasis there. <laughs> And in thinking about how poor he looks and how full he's getting and how good the food tastes, he starts thinking about how close he is to his old friends, um, acquaintances, people that were part of his life, like Cook Sarah, and thinking about what Cook Sarah must be doing and what Hans is doing and what would happen if he went to Mistress Hasty right now dressed as he is and how funny it would be to see how disappointed she would be in him. And then it all comes crashing down because he remembers that that life is done. Loneliness completely engulfs him, sets in. Yeah. He's reminiscing and, and all of a sudden that reverie is broken by a... Man shouting a string of obscenities. Not even the drunkest sailor I had ever known would so profane a wedding feast. Mine was not the only head that turned, and for a moment all normal conversation lapsed. I stared at what I had not noticed before. And so he sees off to the side that a cage is set on a wagon, and in it are three forged ones. There were uh, two men that were, you know, harassing them and... and yelling at them and there's one woman with a cudgel trying to control the scene and get the men to stop harassing them because the forged ones were going to go to the king's circle for whatever justice or mercy they may find there the woman also calls for meat bones to be brought to them um, as though that is food befitting of these people and this is kind of something that sticks with Fitz the treatment of these men yeah these he notes that these are not people who have committed a crime these are regular duchies folk that just happened upon this unfortunate thing and that they had this done to them yes it's not their fault that they're like this they're fathers and brothers and uncles and to see them treated as animals really bothers him or worse than animals mm -hmm. and he notes that he has killed them before but not in a anger or rage or some kind of justification it wasn't about them at all it was about a swift mercy to them and more anger at what had been done and through that conversation with the, the two young men that were harassing them to begin with he gets context about what the king's circle is and the king's justice. Right. Because they claim that they want to be, you know, one of them wants to be a champion in the uh, in the king's circle and that 
these forged ones are going to go to him. So Fitz is getting these flashbacks to Regal watching Fitz get beat up and tortured in the dungeons. He's like getting an inkling of what this king's justice in the great circle is going to be. Right. And so he's kind of disgusted and and just slowly sinks back down and and stares at his plate and doesn't really want to eat anymore. And before he can pick back up eating, his appetite is ruined further by, I believe, the same boys that were just messing with the forged ones because their fun has been taken away, so they have found a new toy to play with. Um, They come and make fun of Fitz for being so smelly and kind of try to egg him on to get him to fight them. They're just being really rude. They're talking about how he doesn't really belong here, and the only job he would find is as a scarecrow in the fields. And this really sparks an anger in Fitz, one that he hasn't felt in a long time. Yeah, he says, There was an edge of fear and that invisible quivering that ran over me when I was challenged. I knew, too, that at times it became the trembling that presaged a fit. But something else built inside me as well, and I had almost forgotten the feel of it. Anger. No. Fury. The mindless, violent fury that gave me the strength to lift an axe and sever a man's shoulder and arm from his body, or fling myself at him and choke the life out of his body regardless of how he pummeled at me as I did so. In a sort of awe, I welcomed it back and wondered what had summoned it. And then, as he welcomes this anger in, he starts sizing the boys up. And he notes that these are kind of backwoods hillbillies. Yeah. They're they're, farmers. They're ignorant. They have never had to fear dogs barking at night, potentially being raiders coming. They have never seen blood besides that of an animal's blood, most likely. Never swung a sword other than maybe a scythe. They don't even know that he's wearing a sword and they're like challenging him to fight him. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly they're very ignorant and have no idea. They're just so naive and young and want to prove themselves so badly. And then before he can start this fight, he hears Verity say, would that all six duchies boys were so ignorant and just like that, the wind is out of his sails. Kind of reaches for him, but he can't connect to Verity anywhere. So do you think that was actually Verity in his mind skilling? Or do you think that was just a reminder, a memory, what Verity would think after he was going through this thought process? It was kind of like the the conclusion to his thought process of, oh, these boys are just trying to prove themselves to get a rise out of somebody because they don't know better. And then that's the, you know, the logical conclusion to it. Feeling sad for the land? Or do you think it's actually Verity? Not to be mean, but it's a little too mature of a thought for Fitz. (laughs) (laughs) He was going down the correct thought pattern there. He was. But I'm going to say this is Verity because... Verity is very skilled with the skill and we know is able to ride with Fitz in his consciousness without Fitz being super aware of him. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he could have been watching this with Fitz without Fitz knowing. Yeah, I I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but 
we have not seen him ride with Fitz since Fitz has died. He has not been yes, with we him. Have. Has he? Yes. Whenever Fitz is recovering and he's still part wolf. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's the one one other time. Besides that, no, they've just met in the skill stream or out gallivanting in their war-torn villages. <laughs> right. But I guess, yeah, he did. He was with him during that, too. Mm-hmm. But he made himself kind of known there, and Fitz kind of in his subconscious knew that Verity was connected there. And right. Fitz, I don't know. But there's, I, like, several mentions in those chapters where he could tell someone was there and he didn't like it and he didn't know what it was or why. Yeah, exactly. That's... But, they were making themselves very small. Yeah. So. But this one fits his deliberately. Like he's startled. Oh, Verity's here. And then like looks around for him with a skill and can't find him. I don't know. I don't know either. I, I don't know. It's just it's hard for me to think that way because it's set up like Fitz is having the correct thought to come up with this. But it is so out of nowhere that. I tend to lean towards what you're leaning towards Mm -hmm. with uh, Verity actually saying that. (laughs) Right. But I, yeah, I don't know. There's just enough doubt in my mind. That's fair. I mean, a lot of lack of evidence either way. (laughs) It is ambiguous, but I like to think that whenever Fitz gets too worked up, Verity knows and kind of figures out what's going on and then tries to calm him down and maybe he's too distracted to stay for long but right, right. you know I don't know but he, it's definitely he does seem to have a, a closer a closer connection with Fitz this chapter right at another point as well so mm-hmm. I don't know but whatever the case whoever thought it first Fitz realizes that it's true and he walks away and that's when they realize oh this guy has a sword one of them like shakes his head at the other guy who still wants to kind of fight him and they're like nope back off we're good (laughs) right and he decides he won't be used to help them prove their manhood he maturely walks away right i'm very proud of fitz he has grown up a little bit And so he goes for the waterfront and he's thinking of the future here and and the land and the people and puts the blame squarely on Regal and is thinking about preparing for him. He wants to go to an inn. He wants to take a bath. He wants to clean up. He wants to shave. He wants to let Regal look at him, at the scars that he had put on him, and let Regal know who had killed him at the end. He wants to do that. He wants to prepare. He wants to look like a man and live like a man for, you know, the next night. Right. And he specifically says, let it be known that the Fitz had come back from his grave to work a true king's justice on this would-be king. Again, Fitz is placing squarely all of his anger, all of his frustrations and guilt and everything at Regal's door. Right. And we know that Regal is a piece of garbage and deserves a lot of that. However, he is placing a lot of his anger and yeah. a lot of his personal frustrations <laughs> and guilt at Regal's door as well that are not deserved and yeah. need to be worked through a different way. 
yes. <laughs> but this is Fitz's end goal, and, and that's and it helps him single-mindedness. Yes, stoke the fire to keep going. He finds an inn. He passes up a couple of them, but finds an inn finally. And despite some trepidation, the innkeeper allows him to uh, rent a room with his money and get a bath with soap. And he says he's going to wash his clothes as well. So don't worry, I'm not going to track any vermin in. I'm on my way for a guaranteed job in Tradeford. <laughs> and the innkeeper's like, oh, okay, okay. You have a job waiting for you. Right. You must be an honest man. <laughs> he also does make the caveat that the bath has to come first. <laughs> right. True. True. And they have a little small talk there. But finally, Fitz washes his hair twice before it runs clean. He scrubs himself. He shaves off his beard. He says the water that I left in the tub was thicker than the chalky river water fits ew <laughs> ew did we not like three chapters ago talk about how even wolves keep themselves clean yeah it oh fits that's gross <laughs> i'm glad he's finally clean though also he says for once i for once i went slowly enough with my shaving that i only cut myself twice <laughs> Well, we know that Beer constantly says that you just go too fast. Like, I don't cut myself at all. What, yeah. What's your problem, Fitz? <laughs> and he says this is the first time in months that he had seen himself. And he describes himself a little bit. And he is he is gaunt. He has only had a diet of basically meat mm -hmm. and some greens that he can forage along the way. But it doesn't leave a lot of meat on his bones in general. Right. You can see some of his ribs. He has defined cheekbones that are reminiscent of chivalry's portraits. Mm -hmm. And he is kind of unrecognizable at this point to himself. Right. He also has the white streak of hair that grows above yep. where he was hurt, um, which he believes ages him. It probably does with the scar as well. Right. I, I vaguely remember a comment in the future that... Uh, People think he's older than he is, too, just like from looking at him. Right. I don't know, though, because, I mean, he is like 17 to 18 at this point. And yeah, he has a strip of gray hair, but probably no wrinkles. I mean, maybe a little bit from sun damage because he doesn't obviously wear sunscreen. Um. <laughs> I mean, for the past, yeah, like months he's been outside. I guess. Exclusively. But like, even still, it would take like a couple years of that to like make you look old you know what i True. mean yeah, like, yeah yeah he's still yeah so i don't know but i guess maybe ages him like now he looks 25 and right, that, yeah. <laughs> and it's to him still, that probably seems old like i don't know six years older or whatever you know? right right seven whatever <laughs> it just makes me laugh when i hear, hear him say that um but i do want to say fitz isn't a super reliable narrator so Maybe to him, he looks different than what he remembers, but that doesn't mean that he looks that different as a person. I, I don't know. I feel like it's hard for me to accept that anyone would look at him and that knew him before and not immediately know who he is. Well, no, yeah, I, I don't think that. I, I think, you know, Regal would instantly recognize him. 
Verity and Shade, well, that Beric would all instantly recognize him and things like that. But if you're given a description or had seen Fitz as he was beforehand but didn't know him well, right. you probably wouldn't recognize him at all now. Like Hands? I don't know. I feel like Hands would absolutely know that was Fitz. We have a we have a chapter where he does meet Hands in the future, and I think Hands goes and snitches on him mm-hmm. because this is a man returned from the grave right. who did dirty magic kind of thing. So I don't blame Hands in that. But I'm pretty sure Fitz has to say that it's me. It's Fitz. Well, in I order guess... for him to do that, you know? Okay, now that I'm thinking about it, why would you think somebody that was dead is standing right? in front of you if they're just a little bit different looking? Like, oh, that's yeah. very similar to Fitz. Mm-hmm. Unless you very much knew him, in which case, well, if you think he's dead, so, I don't like... know. Maybe it isn't that un- <laughs> like, unrealistic, but I just feel like... He can't look that different. I don't know. He's settling in for the night. Trying to fall asleep. He's the only person in this room with four beds, of which he says he's grateful for. He's feeling alone because there's no night eyes around him. And he's trying to sleep, but he's just staring at the ceiling and he can't quite fall asleep. He's wants to reach out to Night Eyes, but says, no, I can't do that. You know, tomorrow I'd be in Tradeford to do to assassinate Regal, which he can't help me with. He can't be in town with me. And after that, if I was still alive and he wanted to, he could come to me after that. But tomorrow is something that Fitz has to do by himself. So he's kind of settling into that conclusion that he he's alone for the next day and a half right the next two days whatever it is he also notes that his decision to kill regal doesn't ever waver it's just his confidence in succeeding that wavers and that makes me so sad because i just really don't i think he knows this is a bad idea he knows he should not be doing this and he's doing it anyway I felt more alone than I ever had in my life. Even in Regal's dungeon facing death, I had been able to reach out to my wolf. Now on this night, I was alone, contemplating a murder I was unable to plan, fearing Regal would be guarded by a coterie of skill adepts whose talent I could only guess at. I felt chilled and sickened whenever I considered it. My resolution to kill Regal never wavered, only my confidence that I would succeed. He he knows the odds that are stacked against him. Right. like you said, like he 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 doesn't know if he can succeed in this, and that scary moment of just dwelling on the coterie itself is enough to keep him at bay. Let alone the guards and you know right. everything else that's right. surrounding him, or Regal himself or his henchmen. Right. It's just like the coterie itself is there. Well, yeah, because of the torture he went through with Will. Well, that, yeah, it would be so scary. But that's what I'm saying is like. Buddy, then don't do it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Fitz. Please don't. But he can't hear me, so <laughs> on we trek. He is in his own head about Will and the Coterie and his confidence and his willingness to go to kill Regal. And he's just back and forth spinning himself in circles just trying to logic himself in and out of like is this his influence on me is this not should i do the opposite thing well 
he wants to reach out with the skill to see where Will is, but then thinks that's Will telling me to do it. So it is this very scary thing where who knows? Because Will is very powerful and he is able to make himself almost unknown. So I would be scared too if I were Fitz, especially being so close. I'm sure that also makes him a little bit more scared. Um, but as he finally falls asleep, he does skill to Burns. And he says too late that he recognized the dragging of his consciousness through the skill river. So otherwise he would have tried to struggle and, and stop it. <laughs> right. So he is drawn to Duke Brondi's castle. I think Ripple that's Keep. Fair to, yep. Yes, fair to call it a castle. Um, they're in the middle of war and Duke Brondi is standing over his eldest daughter who has been killed and Faith and Celerity are on either side of him trying to keep people away. Duke Brondi is fighting with an axe and he is not looking good. No. He has already taken an injury. He is old <laughs> and in pain from losing his daughter. He knows that even if he is able to get out of here, he is still lost Burns to the Red Ship Raiders. I do want to point out uh, that the descriptor for Faith and Solarity are like matched hawks, they seemed. Mm. Another hawk or raptor descriptor for the two daughters. Right. But yeah, Fitz takes all that in within, you know, a few moments that Brondi will not last much longer, and that comes true. He's just here watching the end of Duke Brondi because as Brondi kills one raider, another raider comes in and stabs him through the heart. Solarity then is distracted by Faith's cry from that, and her sword is ripped out, and she is about to die as well. And Fitz can't stand it any longer. He rushes to defend them. And interestingly, we have a little bit of language that is reminiscent of when he and Night Eyes were first intertwining consciousness. He says, I lunged for the axe Brondi had dropped, and I swung it up. And then all of a sudden he's talking about to defend his father and my sister. And it's almost as though he is Celerity. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he is in this moment, but it's interesting that the language is so similar to when he and Night Eyes are. It's not the same as our or we, but this seamless transition into something else. He is no longer just Fitz. He is something else. Yeah, that is a that is a good distinction to make because there is a clear cut line between the two with the wit being we and our and it's. It's as one being, but it's a collective. Mm -hmm. And this skill is always I, even if you're stepping into their life. It's right. just a singular thing, right. which is an interesting distinction to make, but it is a clear distinction between the skill and the wit. Right. And interesting because 
while there's this my father, my sister, there's also Burek would be proud of this move. And so Fitz is there, too. And there's no distinction. There's no weird like, why would Burek think that? Or, you know, there's no confusion from Solarity's end. There's no confusion from Fitz's end. It just is. And so it's, I thought, really interesting to see the difference between wit togetherness and skill togetherness. Right. Just like that. I don't know. Yeah. And this is the same thing that Verdi did when we first saw the, I don't remember what small town it was, get raided where Fitz first skill walked. Mm-hmm. And Verdi jumped into the man saving his uh, family behind him from three raiders. And then the uh, the man died, but he did save his family. Right. So after this whole thing happens, Fitz, like Verity, separates himself from the person that they kind of took over, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like, seems like possession. <laughs> yeah. So he steps back from Celerity and she seems confused why she grabbed the axe. She, she seems, seems a little dizzy. Yeah. She seems a little disoriented. Same with Fitz in his spectral state, I guess. We can call it. Yeah. <laughs> and Faith and Celerity have a moment where where they're thinking that they're not going to last the whole day. But Celerity is saying, along live the Duchess of Burns to her sister because their father and eldest sister have fallen. And her sister has just taken control by yep. saying Burns to me. Yep. Because they have to rally. That's I mean, that's was probably taught to them since they were children. Right. So they are the the war most warlike of the du- of the dukes, the duchy the duchies. <laughs> yeah. The ducal families, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, it's this interesting moment of Celerity has just defended her sister and well, both sisters and father and has taken out the majority of the people attacking them in this small pocket. And now they have to decide what to do next. And she picks up her sword and runs headfirst to create a big enough gap to let the people taking her family members' bodies away out. She gives them the time. And we see Fitz watch her and think, I never loved her, but I will always admire her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so interesting. And it makes me kind of sad for the relationship that never was. Because (laughs) clearly she is so cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Definitely would have been a good match for Fitz, I think. With all my heart, I wished to go after her. But my grip on the scene was failing. All was becoming smoke and shadows. Someone seized me. That was stupid. The voice in my mind sounded so pleased. Will, I thought desperately as my heart surged in my chest. No, but it could as easily have been so. You are getting sloppy about your walls, Fitz. You cannot afford to. No matter how they call to us, you must be cautious. Verity gave me a push that propelled me away, and I felt the flesh of my body receive me again. But you do it, I protested, but only heard the wan sound of my voice in the in-room. So Verity was there at the same time, catches Fitz and pushes him back into his body, tells him to be careful. Right. But he is very proud, I think. Oh, yeah. He's extremely pleased that Fitz is called to do the same thing, to to save the people, to 
help where he can. Right. Even if it is reckless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. And this is a probably really challenging thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Verity sure was surprised that Fitz could even skill walk. And now he is jumping into other people's bodies. I just. Fitz is growing his skill capabilities so much here. And it's so mm -hmm. interesting because he is taking so much uh, elf bark that you would think he wouldn't be able to continue to get stronger. But it's just like Verity. Yeah. No. Can't stop raw power, I guess. Yeah. Fitz wakes up and uh, is very, very bleary and disoriented. He hasn't woken up in a bed for a long time and his head is pounding. His vision is kind of blurry and dizzy and he gets hot water from the, the boy with his breakfast. He's repulsed by all the food but focuses on the hot pot of water to make elf bark tea and makes it stronger than he ever has in the past. Right. Also, as he wakes, he realizes that Duke Brondi is dead, that that was real. And he talks about how he admits that he is irrationally angry at Regal for a moment and puts all the blame on him and then concedes that maybe, maybe it's not all Regal's fault. He can't put <laughs> everything on Regal. Regal wasn't there holding the sword that killed Brondi. So I thought that was pretty big <laughs> that he admits it was, you know, irrational, but he's still mad at Regal. And it is kind of Regal's fault because... Yeah, I was going to say at the same time, to him it's irrational, but to us who have the full story, mm -hmm. Regal was conspiring with the Raiders. So right. <laughs> it's indirectly Regal's fault. <laughs> yes. Fitz remarks after, as he's making this elf bark tea, that he's almost up to the dose that Shade had been using on Verity, which is crazy because Verity is taking a ton and right. we'll get on to the dosage a little bit later. But I want to say this next sentence here. It says, ever since the wolf had left me, I had suffered from these skill dreams. No matter how I set my walls, I could not keep them out. I think, you know, I, I'm not sure, but I'm hypothesizing here that the wit has helped Fitz keep his skill walls up and night eyes has been a protection against the skill as well for him. Right. In a couple ways. One, I think also with the wit itself, but two, the loneliness thing that we had talked about before last right. chapter or maybe two chapters ago, how he is so lonely without that companion there that he reaches out unconsciously or subconsciously. And that, kind of destroys the integrity of his own walls that he's putting up because he's so willing to just connect with any other person that's reaching out that he kind of doesn't care about the security of his own mind. Right. I think in the way I read these magics, it feels as though emotion has a lot to do with how they are used and so I think it's definitely possible that the loneliness that Fitz is feeling is causing him to reach out, even though he doesn't mean to. And even though we know he is lonely with Night Eyes by his side, I think he's able to feel less alone. And that means that he's not reaching out to anyone else, especially Night Eyes' role in his life. I think it would be different 
and he would still be having these dreams if he was traveling with any human companion. But Night Eyes specifically, not necessarily because of the wit in my mind, but because Night Eyes is kind of his crutch. Right. His security yeah. blanket. In and a he, lot of ways. Yeah. And he grabs on so tightly to Night Eyes that there's no energy left to spend reaching out elsewhere. Now he's gone, so he has nothing to do <laughs> except <laughs> yes. reach out. He drinks two mugs of tea and is starting to feel better, but he has to get dressed back in his clean beggar clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and he realizes as he's putting these, you know, misshapen homemade shoes on that are worn through the, you know, the misshapen, stretched, stained, gross looking beggar shirt that has been patched and everything like that. The leggings that are thin in the knees and is too short. Yep. All of this, he he realizes after a night spent in an inn that he is dressed more poorly than any beggar he has seen at Buckkeep before. So he's not really surprised that people treated him with such disgust and pity. And that's a that's a big change from what he had thought the day previously going into town. Right. I think it's definitely one of those things where he has been away from people for so long that it's just a human, a silly human thing to focus on. And why would he think too hard on the clothes? He's never been a big clothes guy anyway. So why would clothes matter? And then the familiarity of humanness of sleeping in a bed, not in the field of eating real food, I think just puts in perspective again, what being a human is and how different that is from if you just live in the wild and yeah it's a shock and Fitz says it makes him cringe just thinking about the fact he has to walk downstairs in front of people in these clothes so big change from the boy who hated dressing nice yes <laughs> I mean that doesn't mean he wants to dress nice but just I acceptable think, you know yes <laughs> He also says he feels a moment of alarm as he's packing his bundle when he realizes how much elf bark he had consumed in one draft. I felt alert no more than that. A year ago, that much elf bark would have had me swinging from the rafters. I told myself firmly it was like my ragged clothes. I had no choice in the matter. Fitz, you do have a choice, but also it is kind of scary. It's like a... I always kind of viewed elf bark as like a coffee with a painkiller in it. Like if you took a few Tylenol and then chased it with a few shots of espresso kind of right. thing, right. you would get really wired up and then the crash at the end would have you depressed. <laughs> you know, but this is as if he took, you know, three shots of espresso and was kind of just waking up a little he, bit more in the morning than normal and that's it. He brewed the espresso with five hour energy yeah. and still is like, I'm a little tired, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so a little bit of addiction, a little bit of a tolerance build up there. That mm -hmm. should not be because he relies on it way too heavily. Right. But also his pain from those headaches is from his injuries as well. Right. It's from his uh, crack in his skull that is also growing that white tuft of hair. Right. Also, 
I think it is interesting to point out that he still has the negative effects just as bad as he did the first time he took Elf Bark. So that feels like a pretty good indicator that it's not a very good drug to be using because <laughs> you're not getting much out of it and that you still have to feel really crappy at the end of it. So not great. So this, you know, the, this depression, this gloomy feeling sets in and he's thinking about the future of, of what chance do I have of getting past Regal's walls and guards and making an end of him and all of these sorts of things you know it's a poor way to begin the day Brondi's death Burns Duchy falling and his beggar's clothing his scarecrow clothing as he calls them mm-hmm. and the elf bark crutch thinking of his addiction there and he's like you know I hope this is just the bleak spirit of the elf bark after all and not and not me actually thinking like this he's up against a lot here and he's planning on a lot and he's he's really hoping that it's just the drugs (laughs) (laughs) yeah which unfortunately i don't think it is fully just the drugs i think he is a pretty depressed person so i think all that in the back of his mind is just coming forward with the elf park (laughs) yes it's like the opposite of antidepressant (laughs) (laughs) pro-depressant i don't know so he's walking through town, setting out towards Tradeford, and at the edge of town, he sees an unsettling sight. Two gallows, a body dangled from each, and then there are other structures as well, a whipping post and two stocks. So they're recent by the construction and the wood weathered, weathering, and he's concerned because this, I know, the duchies are getting more brutal. Right. And also, even though they seem pretty new, they've already seen use, which isn't a great sign. Yeah. And so he's thinking about all of this kind of thing, and then he wonders where Chade is, because if they did manage to capture him, what would happen to him? Would he get a clean end? He doubts it. Right. I also think it's so interesting to just juxtapose the image of last night's big party where everybody's so happy and friendly and they're giving a stranger food because he looks like a beggar and the food is for all and then as he leaves this happy nice town that is prospering there's these horrible things at the outskirts it just feels like a metaphor (laughs) and i don't know Really, really an interesting image choice. As Fitz goes on towards Tradeford, he realizes that the trade is really good between Palm, the town he was just in, and Tradeford. That there are grain fields and orchards and cows and horses and beautiful homes and everything is in shape. There are The road he noted last night was lit all the way to Tradeford, so presumably there's some type of lighting along the sides of the road. This is a far cry from one duchy over. Very clearly, they are somewhere that has not been touched by the raiders. Mm -hmm. And he wanders into Tradeford, looking at all this wealth, 
and he sees, you know, gardens laid out with pebbled walkways, cobbled drives, people strolling down the walks or driving carriages, dressed in finery that would have been at home at any of Buckheap's most formal occasions, and some of them even wore feral livery of golden brown. Yet even the dress of the servants was more sumptuous than any clothing that Fitz had ever owned. Which I do want to ask, are the regular people just walking out, well, nobles, I assume, walking out and about in finery better than any at the finest? Well, it's f- attire that would fit in with right, any of those. at the finest banquet. But is that true? Or have fashion just changed, like the fashion industry has changed in the year that Fitz has been gone from it? Maybe, but I'm, I'm more... I'm more quick to agree with Fitz here, because this is where the wealth is at. That's fair, yeah. And it does explain a lot of things, and we've known that this is kind of like the hub of everything, and that's where, right? you know, Buck Dutchie burns and, and chokes and rip and all get their money from, and like, this right. is kind of like the heart of the six Dutchies. Right. It definitely has the feel of a kid who the biggest city he's been in is like oh, 100%. a city of like 200,000 people maybe um, and now he's in like the biggest metropolitan area in the in the country he lives in yep so it would definitely be weird to have never seen that type of wealth and diversity in one place mm-hmm. and so he's he's kind of thinking about Regal in this new contextual sense. This is where Regal spent his summers. This is where he grew up. This is Regal walking through all of this finery, all of these genteel-looking folk and the merchants and everything like that with all this wealth and the greenery and the fine clothes, and then every single fall going back to the winter storms of Buckkeep on the coast. In a grubby little port town. Yeah. And Fitz says, I suddenly felt an inkling of understanding for Regal. It made me angry. It is good to know well a man you are going to kill. It is not good to understand him. I recalled how he had killed his own father, my king, and steeled myself to my purpose. So Fitz is starting to understand where Regal is coming from and understanding his motives of saying... Buckkeep isn't, you know, royal. It isn't like the yeah. place where you should be. We should be in Tradeford. It doesn't excuse everything that Regal has done, of course. No. And it doesn't do that in Fitz's mind, but it contextualizes a little bit more of Regal's disdain for everything in Buck Duchy. Right. Because this is, like, what they're describing here is super nice. Right. Like, it, it's super nice. It seems amazing. It, It's beautiful. People are looking at Fitz with pitying glances, and he thinks to himself, like, if I came here as a beggar to make money, I would make bank. Yep. Like, I would I would have so much money. Yeah. It's... People, so, like, obviously the people, the regular people here aren't, you know, disdainful of people below them. They Fitz knows that he could make money, so they might be generous here. Like... Right. Which is so interesting, because I think this is the first kind of positive reading we've ever had about inner duchy people as a whole. Right. Because usually we're looking at them through the lens of Verity's the worst king in the world. Regal's amazing. We love him. And, you know, just horrible things about Shrewd. 
and how could they not be awful? They support Regal. But really, these are people who have never known hardship. Right. They are prosperous. They are doing well because of the outer duchies. And they've never had to shoulder that burden. The only thing that is really keeping them down is the hundreds of year old war where, you know, that buck duchy king Mm -hmm. annexed them and made them into a duchy themselves. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's what they hold on to, that grudge. Right. And... To be fair to Buck, pretty good, pretty good idea. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, yeah, but it does make sense why Regal is so adamant that Buck is trash. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know, I wish he would have used that energy to make Buck more Regal, to make it closer to what Tradeford is. There is opportunity to do that it wouldn't be the exact same but i feel like he could have had artisans come in and remake the castle or like there are avenues to take to make things better where you are and instead he just made it worse and then left (laughs) so really sad because clearly he's capable of doing that and he could have gone down as like the best king or princeling in history and instead He chose violence, literally. (laughs) So Fitz heads down to the waterfront to try to fit in a little bit more, find some work, blend in a little bit, get some gossip, get the lay of the land. And he is offered a few hours work unloading grain sacks and doesn't learn much from the gossip of the other workers. They just pretty much complain about the poor quality of goods that come from the coast and how much they're charged for the little that was sent. Little was said of King Regal, and what few words I did hear took pride in his ability to attract women and to drink well. I was startled to hear him spoken of as a a Mountwell king, the name of his mother's royal line. Then I decided it suited me just as well that he did not name himself a farseer. He did learn a lot about the king's circle, though. He is excited that he's not a Farseer king because it's one less thing to share yeah. with Regal. Yeah. Which I thought was very poignant. But it is uh, short-sighted of the workers to say that, you know, they're complaining of the poor quality of goods and how much it costs, because I'm sure it's at much hardship from our... <laughs> third-person point of view of zooming around the countryside and seeing all perspectives. We know how hard it is to grow crops on the coast at the moment. So I'm sure it is very expensive to get stuff from them. Right, And also, there's not any trade going on anywhere else. They're not getting stuff back, it doesn't seem like. They're just sending stuff in, I guess, which is even worse, I, I feel. It would be worse Presumably they're getting paid for it, so Hopefully. that's that's the transaction. Because yeah. they say how much it costs for right. how little it is. But are the ones that are, you know, making the product getting paid or the middleman getting paid more? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I guess who knows. But it's just frustrating as a third-party person who knows the war that is going on and the tragedy, especially after just having read the horrible battle that happened the night before, and then to hear these people who have never had to face that horror complain because things are different and it's 
there's less to come towards them. Like, yeah, because there's nobody defending the trade. No, How are you going to get trade if nobody's defending it? But, of course, the Montwell King is much too good to have any blame with that. They probably don't know it's as bad as it is either. So True. And they probably don't care if they did know. So, because it's the, the coastal duchies. Right. But he, here's a lot of the King Circle. And understands what it is now fully and it kind of sours his mood he thinks a little bit to the buck duchy tradition of the witness stones and two men meet there to resolve you know a dispute between them it's kind of fixed in the eyes of the gods and that's how it rings true but this takes it to a new level of entertainment where those that would be judged as deserving of as deserving of punishment or death were sent to this king's circle and they might face a starved animal taunted to madness a fighter which would be the king's champion uh or maybe they uh would have forged ones as entertainment in there you know sometimes one of those people that fights an animal or whatever can win and maybe be granted clemency if they put up a good show right but it's all about entertainment because the forged ones are taken just for entertainment. They go against, uh, you know, those criminals maybe, or against an animal themselves, and it's just brutal, forced coliseum work. Right. Also, just to clarify, it's the people who are judged deserving of punishment by regal specifically. Yeah. It's not just anybody it's who the king's circle. Yes. yes. So I want to specify that it's. It's worse. It does get worse. Um, <laughs> but also, I wonder if the aspect of the forged ones is another sick way to get back at the outer duchies by Regal. Because forged ones are yeah. outer duchy people. Yeah, mostly. They're not the inner duchy people right. unless they were visiting outer duchies for family reasons or something. But these are basically innocent outer duchy people and they are fighting to the death for Regal's entertainment. And I feel like there's that other sick level of they deserve it because they're from the outer duchies. It's a great political move by Regal in general because one, yes, you can get back at the outer duchies folk. But two, it presents to the inner duchies people that I'm taking action against the forged ones and I can capture them and use them as entertainment that King Shrewd never had from the people that, Right. He gives the inner duchies uh, folk a sense of security of like, see, the king is just using these people as our entertainment. They're not an issue at all. Right. And or these things, I guess I should say, because they're not viewed as people anymore. Right. So, yeah, it it is disgusting, but it it works well for him because it desensitizes all the in, inner duchies people of the forged ones. Right. And I think it's a really good think piece <laughs> on the way humans in history have been drawn to violence yeah and this weird sense of camaraderie that you get from not being the one in the king's circle and it really boosts morale for whatever reason i mean yeah lots of civilizations had something similar yes and it's so we strange have ufc boxing 
right? which know? is a, a little different. <laughs> yeah, it is. But that's I like mean, the modern yeah. equivalent, I would True. say. True. Yeah. Because we know it's inhumane to make, you know, prisoners <laughs> fight each other or something right. like that. Right. No, it's just a very interesting thing that has historical backing and mm-hmm. to see people talk about it with glee or indifference even is kind of gross. Yeah. But. We do see a, a an actual political argument positively as well for this too, coming from these workers. Because the Mountain Kingdom was shut down with trade, like they stopped trading with the Mountain Kingdom, Regal had to find a way to create jobs. So this King Circle had popularity and he's building a new stadium that's going to have stands and everything. And it has created a lot of jobs, has a lot of people working. And so people are happy and no one says anything bad about it. Right. So Fitz finally learns what the King Circle is. And then those workers all go off to a tavern, settle down where smoke is being distributed throughout the whole tavern, the inside of it. Right. Different smokes and herbs and incenses. Yep. What little Fitz can smell is going straight to his head. But I think it's interesting because this just shows the culture shift between outer and inner duchies. It also kind of explains a little bit Regal and his mother's draw towards drugs it's cultural yeah it's part of everybody does it it's casual you take drugs with dinner every day this isn't a special occasion this you can buy an ale a beer and a handful of herbs to burn yeah so it's just also really interesting we get another little insight of regal (laughs) so he's asking several folk around this this tavern to see where he can get a job in the stable, the king's stable. Right. He also is doing this over a very bitter beer that tasted to me of river water. And I want to know if you think that might be IPA. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Attacking me like that. Personally, I think that's a great descriptor of IPA. (laughs) No shade to anyone who, like Luke, enjoys the taste of an IPA. And so he gets directed after asking around for a job at the king's stable, after being laughed at and pretending to be a little bit of a simpleton, gets told to directly ask the king himself, so he excuses himself and takes that opportunity to just head up to, I don't know what it's called. Tradeford Hall. Tradeford Hall. Yeah, there it is. I have it highlighted. It's just down a little bit. So he walks. He's looking for fortified walls, basically. He's looking for Buckkeep sitting in the middle of this. But instead, he finds a very fine, elegant, and expensive residence. You know, patterns had been worked into the stone walls, graceful arches. There were towers, but there's no arrow slits in them. They're just constructed to give a big view, a panoramic view, more pleasure. There's walls, too, but they're low, fat stone walls, mossy or ivied with nooks and crannies where statues were framed by flowering vines. There's hundred-year-old trees lining the walkway that somebody had the foresight to plan and plant. There's narrow walks and drives with lily ponds and uh, fruit trees. And it's 
more acreage than a good size farm and it's gorgeous it's a whole estate right Fitz notes that he's trying to imagine the type of ruler that would have the time and resources to put into something this beautiful yeah and it's it's a far cry from Buckheap right Fitz is thinking about this wealth and in his head, he's like, had Patience ever known this from her father's or for, from her parents' home? Was this what the fool was trying to capture in his art that he had set up? You know, is this something that you can do if you don't need a standing army and warships? He feels grubby and uncouth, and it was not because of his clothes. This, indeed, I suddenly felt, was how a king should live, amid art and music and graciousness, elevating the lives of his people by providing a place for such things to flourish. I glimpsed my own ignorance, and worse, the ugliness of a man trained only to kill others. I felt a sudden anger, too, at all I had never been taught, never even glimpsed. Had not Regal and his mother had a hand in that as well, in keeping the bastard in his place? I had been honed as an ugly, functional tool, just as Craigie, Baron, Buckkeep was a fort, not a palace. But how much beauty would survive here? Did not Buckkeep stand like a snarling dog at the mouth of the Buck River? It was like a dash of cold water in my face. And he realizes that's why Buckkeep was built in the first place, because if there was no fort there... The raiders, or whoever else was attacking, would be able to divide and conquer straight to the heart of the six duchies, and everything would kind of be lost from there. Right. He notes that that's what's at stake. That if they truly take over the coast, they will find the fat underbelly of Buckkeep. Of the six duchies. All of the six duchies, right. yes. Sorry, yes, the duchies. And it makes him a little sad, I yeah. think. Because if that falls, all of these nobles who are, you know, lazing about and... The ignorant farm children. Yeah, and the, the cocky farm lads and everything like that. They would rake, wake up to the harsh realities of the coast right now. Right. The smoke, the screams, the raiders. And they wouldn't have any castles to run to, no guards to fight for them because... This wasn't built to be... Yeah. A, a castle, a fort. The coast is... The defense. The defense. If you think of it like a, a big castle, the coast is the walls, and this is the inner bedchambers. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you breach the walls, you're going to go straight to the, the bedrooms and get the rulers. take it over. Yeah. And he wonders in realizing how close this is to, to ending, if in the last moments these people will blame Regal, finally for cowering away instead of fighting like he should have. But he intends to kill that king first. And he starts analyzing Tradeford, Tradeford Hall. Yep. Trying to figure out the easiest and most unnoticed way to get in. Before nightfall, I would find out all I could about Tradeford Hall. He, in this chapter, kind of just reaffirms himself in his feelings to kill Regal. Right. Even though he, if he's wavering on, you know, the 
the percentage chance he has to come out alive on the other end, right? he still wants to confront Regal either way and feels like he needs to. He needs to come face to face with him, have Regal see who it is, and try to face his demons. It, it feels like... It feels like, to me, that fits his thinking in his head. This is the only way he can move on. Mm-hmm. To become a new person, he has to kill this part of his past that is haunting him. And to a, to an extent, he's right, because it does stand in his way of his true king and everything like that. But it doesn't have to be this confrontational. Right. <laughs> he's pinning everything on this moment. Yeah, it's... Definitely an interesting chapter. I actually kind of really like this one. And I never remember this chapter, so I was surprised (laughs) at how much I liked it. But I think it's a really good, I want to say honest look, but I I don't know how honest it can be with a not very reliable narrator showing us the way. But an honest look at the inner duchies. And I think it paints a really good picture of the purpose of the outer duchies. And I don't know. I just like how much we learn about Regal and the people that Regal was raised around. Yeah, 100%. So I don't know. It's definitely, definitely going to be fun to see what Fitz does next. (laughs) Fun in quotes and heavy sarcasm. (laughs) Yes. So we know he does have that final confrontation. I don't think he ever gets face to face with Regal. And then he's called out. Yeah. He's called out by Verity and commanded to go to him. He runs away with his tail between his legs. Chased. Poor Fitz. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in this week listening to us ramble about Fitz's inner demons and his shortcomings. (laughs) (laughs) If you have anything to say to us or ask us or just comment in general about the, uh, the chapter or the books as we have been reading them, please let us know isfitshappy at gmail.com or at isfitshappy at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Look forward to hearing from you. Time to get down to the nitty gritty. We're back with some comments from our listeners. First of all, thank you to everyone who participated in our poll. And a big thank you to Eloise the... Calico Lynx. Yes. Eloise the Calico Lynx for thinking up the idea. It was a lot of fun to see everybody's reaction. Luke, would you like to do the honors of telling us the breakdown of what people thought of who's who was B's dad? (laughs) Got some hard hitting facts for you guys out there. Um, So we had about 112 total responses. And it's 65 percent for all three Fitz, Fool and Night Eyes being the father of B, which is no surprise to me that those three kind of reigned the top. (laughs) But then we have 24 percent as Fitz and the Fool, and just under 10% as Fitz alone as the father of B. Yeah. Uh, There's one person on, because we did a slider on Instagram, so it's kind of hard to tell exactly what answer they picked. It 
looked a little bit in between Fitz and Fitz and the Fool. So I don't know. That's <laughs> that's kind of in the middle there. But um, yeah, about 10%, about 24 or 25% for both Fitz and the Fool and then 65 for all three. And 10% is higher than I thought with just Fitz on there. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, I think that's really cool that there are that many different opinions out there. It was yeah. definitely interesting to see. It's an interesting topic for me because I feel like I, I feel like there's different definitions of what father could mean. True. Yeah. Fitz, I feel like wasn't a I feel like I I know he was not a great father. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> However, Night Eyes wasn't really a great father either in some ways. He he did his best to protect B in certain situations, but he wasn't always there either. Like his his words and his voice. Right. Well, so, she was blocking him out to protect herself. So. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know that. But um but also the fool was not at all a father and kind of a little bit more I, I have issues with the way the fool was written in the third trilogy or like the last trilogy of of this series because he's he's written as a little bit more selfish which is could be understandable from the trauma he's been through but we can get there in you know a few years right <laughs> uh but i feel like his relationship with b was a little bit more exploitative and mm. like i don't know it, there's just i need to reread it but interesting None of them are really like the loving father figure, except for Night Eyes. And <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I think uh, from our our sister podcast, Buck Keep Radio, uh, they they responded to us and said that uh, Night Eyes is the sole father. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, honestly, true. It, uh, yeah. uh, good on you guys, Buck Keep. I really for calling think that he's, out. he's the only sensible one out of all three yes. of them. To he be fair. like <laughs> cares in an active way. Yes. And Fitz is a passive carer. Yes. Which is not what a baby needs. So. True. So I thought this was a really interesting breakdown. So yeah, there, there's like different definitions where they didn't actually like care that right. much for B. B was kind of left to her own devices for most of the time. Right. But also, I'm still of the opinion that all three of their kind of souls or spirits or life forces mingled together in different ways in Fitz. Mm. Yeah. So they're all kind of fathers in a way. Yeah, it's definitely a fun question to ask. I don't think I don't think there is a right answer. No, yeah. And um I like seeing the different opinions. But yeah, it's it's definitely hard and it's also hard to word the question, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't want to say who's the parent because I'm not putting Molly on the list because clearly she's the mother. There's no doubt. We we should <laughs> have had an option parent. for Fitz and Night Eyes alone as well instead of just all three. Oh, true. But, we could have. Yeah. Next time. Next time, yeah, next <laughs> next time. time I do this type of um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a challenge. Um, but interesting thoughts. Yeah, so it would be cool if we could like get a reason why from everybody, but that's so tedious. And yeah, who right. would want to vote in that such <laughs> in that situation? So thank you for everyone who did participate. Very cool to see your guys' answers. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So moving on from our poll, I want to talk about some emails we got. So I'm going to start with an email from a listener named Tyler. 
they first of all are a fellow Fitz and Molly shipper, which uh, we are out here. (laughs) (laughs) And they wanted to talk a little bit about the mirror that Fitz and Burek are. Yeah. And how they the more you look into it, the more you realize how mirrored they truly are. Um, They start from the very beginning where uh, Fitz is caught by Burek running through the streets with a dog, dirty and a thief, and is probably part of the reason why Burek cried, because he thought of himself. That's how Burek started. He didn't talk, and he was a thief on the streets with a dog. Um, They both kind of have that similarity and as they grow older obviously there is the similarities between patience and molly and they're in their love life yeah which we've talked about a little bit yes and molly has directly compared in the text as well yes and they bring up a very good point that both men do not give the option to the women that they are pursuing fitz gives up on molly because in his eyes, she would be better off with Burek. And in the final trilogy... With with the other man. Right, with the other man. <laughs> Doesn't but, know that it's Burek, but... Well, later, he does know it's Burek. Later, yeah. He still says, like, yeah. she'd be better off with him. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell her I lived. Yeah. So um, this later becomes a conflict because Molly rightfully gets mad and said, oh, so you both decided this. Because Burek as he dies, spoiler alert, uh, says that um, she would have left him for Fitz, but he thinks he was the better husband for her and who he who she needed. And this really bothers her because that's not their decision to make without her. It's her choice, and it's not fair to take away that from her or to diminish her love for Burek and their marriage by saying she would have left him for fits and deciding that between themselves. So it's very interesting, which we see less with patience, but they summarize that it's probably from text pretty evident that patience also liked Burek still. She probably wouldn't have cared much what he was doing if she didn't right. still have some type of feeling towards him. And she was also not given the agency to decide if Burek was a good match or not. And so it's like very interesting just seeing all the different ways that their lives come together. They were both injured at a young age and then go into this limbo of not really being able to mature or move forward. For Fitz, that's obviously Regal's dungeon. And then partially forging himself in the girl on a dragon. For Burek, that's the hunt with the boar and then being stuck with duty to fits so he's not really moving forward maturity really either but it was just really in-depth and really thoughtful and really cool to see all these different instances where a time and again burek and fits are following the same path they are a just more modern version of one one another and they continue that cycle and they're just circles. So I thought that was really cool and a very interesting read. So thank you, Tyler. We also got an email from a listener named Nathan. They 
wanted to talk a little bit about aphantasia, which, as a reminder, is where certain people do not have the ability to picture things in their mind. When they read, when people talk to them to describe something, they just can't do it. There are different levels, so some people can partially picture things, some people not at all. Um, But they let us know that there is a subsect of aphantasia called SDAM, which stands for Severely Deficient Autobiographical Memory, which is a lifelong inability to vividly recollect or re-experience past personal events. And they thought of this because it reminds them of how being forged or partially forged is explained where there's fuzziness, they don't really recall the memory, it feels not as vibrant, it doesn't affect them as much, and um, they don't claim to be a doctor, but it makes sense that with S-A-D-M... S-D-A-M. S-D-A-M, oops. uh, They would also feel, like, detached. Apparently, it's harder to remember things from childhood or and plan for the early future adulthood. Yeah, plan yeah. for the future because you can't picture it. Um, and that was just a really interesting connection that they brought up. I thought it was really cool. Just more real life connections to things that can happen in the real life, but have a magical explanation <laughs> yes. in the books. Yeah. And the last uh, part of Nathan's email here is about our discussion of why humans feel that they can order creatures or animals around. We were talking about, you know, Fitz's inner thoughts about that with his discussion with Night Eyes. And Nathan's ideas on this in as it pertains to real life, the connection to, to our present, mm-hmm. <laughs> is the at least for the western society how it was mostly funded uh, founded excuse me on christian traditions and how the bible says mankind has dominion over all beasts and how that's kind of just maybe that was what ingrained it in all of our minds growing up and everything like that so or at least our traditions and foundations of western society and not speaking for the world <laughs> right but how Maybe that's how man has a has more of a superiority complex over all of nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was an interesting, uh, interesting thought to bring up. And yeah, a good point because that is that is true. That is something that is in the Bible. So um, it makes sense that it would affect Western culture as a whole. Um, so very cool points. Thank you, Nathan. And finally, um, just a quick shout out to Ellen, who had a funny theory that last episode when Fitz decides that he's going to go towards Regal anyway, maybe it was Will's plan all along that he skilled in that suggestion that it's safe. Yeah, because um, if that Will would never expect it if I went straight to him. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, which is, I thought, a uh, good point and also kind of funny. But also, if it's true, kind of scary. Also, yeah, very scary. Um, I wouldn't pa- put it past Will for sure. But yeah, it was a good point. So thank you, Ellen, again. Thank you to everyone who reaches out. We love hearing from you guys every week. It's really crazy to me that people outside of ourselves hear us talk and then want to talk back. 
Um, it's been going on for over a year now. Yeah, so. <laughs> every time we get something, I'm always surprised. Like, well, um, so thank you guys so much. We look forward to hearing what you guys have to say next week. <laughs>